we interrupt your Festival Queens podcast in the middle of the 1960s to bring you a brief history of apples. It's tempting to think all of these apple and stone fruit orchards just sprung up in the 1950s and then they held an apple blossom festival. Not quite. We need to have a history lesson right here and now. Between 1965 and 1966 is a huge change for the apple festivals in Stanthorpe. But to understand why the apple blossom festivals changed into the apple and grape harvest festivals, let's go step back in time, right back, back to the 1870s. Now, that's as close as I'll ever get to being one of the doctor's companions, but let's get back on track here. Many came to what we now call Stanthorpe in the 1870s to make their fortunes mining tin. I mean, Stanthorpe literally means tin town, but that mining boon was very short-lived. Historian D.B. Waterson very eloquently described of Stanthorpe, and I quote, The colour was now in blossom, not in the activities of men, Stanthorpe's future now lay in the fields rather than the streams. Now, apples arrived in Australia with the first fleet in 1788. One apple tree survived after a year, and it was in the Huon Valley in Tasmania. Now, that's not a bad claim to fame for the Apple Isle. So where were apples first grown in the Granabelt district? Now, if you're thinking Applethorpe... You're wrong. Apples were first grown in Ballandine. Yes, it's true. Mr. T.H. Fletcher also sent his first commercial crop to market in 1872. He was later joined in the 1880s by names such as Hogan, Mungle, Saxby, Smith and Williamson, these names still carry on in the district to today. And in fact, you heard from Chucky Williamson in episode three in the Drag Queens of Ballandine episode. And who was the first to grow fruit in the most appropriately named village, Applethorpe? It was Ridgewell. Now, demand across Queensland for Stanthorpe fruit and veg was so great that by 1919, we were importing from southern states to meet that demand. And in the 1920s, a special fruit train was even scheduled to supply Townsville and Cairns with fruit and veg from Stanthorpe. Now, where did the festival's origins come from here in Australia? Well, it was 100 years ago, in fact. In the Daily Mail in 1922, they reported on Apple Week being held in Sydney, but it was an exhibition of Tasmanian apples in August. Now, that's no easy feat, considering August is not the harvest time for apples in Australia, let alone it's not even apple blossom time in Australia. They even hosted special weeks for particular varieties. For example, the Sturmer apples were showcased from Monday the 28th of August for a week. And our Apple Week was an international thing too. The South Australian Advertiser reported on the 2nd of January 1928 that the world's biggest apple pie was baked in Yakima, USA as a preliminary activity for promotion of Apple Week. It was a one-ton apple pie, by the way. But the first Apple Week in Australia, it was held in 1928. 
and I can think of no one better to tell us all about it than the infamous John Perry Bingle. Now, John Perry Bingle wrote a regular column in the Weekly Times, and he said in 1928 the following, I couldn't understand until the other day why the year 1928 had not been as useful as some of its predecessors. I realise now that it is due to the lack of weeks. Once upon a time, every week was something week. We had Peach Week, Safety Week, Show Week, Cup Week, Country Week and goodness knows how many other weeks. Some of those, of course, will come along again this year. But we seem to have wasted several months in which there were many nothing in particular weeks. Fortunately, a start has been made with an Apple Week. Mr Clapp has been advising us for some days to nibble an apple, which means what it sounds like when you say it quickly. And it appears that there are in the coal stores a million cases of apples. And if we don't start to nibble them soon, next year's crop will be here before they are eaten. Now, I have sufficient faith in the idea of weeks to believe that by the time the campaign ends, most of us will look like Jonathan's or Rome beauties. Now, in the next paragraph, John Perry Bingle then goes on to take puck shots at Mussolini all about this week, that week and so forth. But he ends with some, what he calls, a few telling slogans. And I quote, However, let us welcome Apple Week with a few telling slogans. For example, if with problems you must grapple, seek assistance from an apple. Or this, don't despair and don't deplore, chew an apple to the core. Third spasm, if at dawn you wake up bright, eat an apple overnight. Fourth bite, Doctor's bills you'll never pay if an apple ends your day. Look, I could go on indefinitely, but I consider that I have done my share towards the campaign. As you can tell, he was the satiricist of his time. Now, popular in the 1930s were souvenir brochures that were published for visitors espousing the virtues of regions and towns. Stanthorpe was no exception. The State Library of Queensland has an original copy of a 1934 souvenir brochure for Stanthorpe talking about the beauty of pink-white blossom of apple orchards as well as the stone fruit. Now, by the end of this decade, the 1930s, a nationwide campaign had been firmly established, Eat an Apple Week. Now, there was the usual advertising activity, radio ads, newspaper advertorials about the benefits of eating apples and the columns on how the crop was faring for the season. Ward Leopold, a well-known ABC radio personality across the 30s, 40s and 50s, who is described as a forerunner to Spike Milligan-type comedians, he wrote short stories that were romance stories in the 1930s. Titles included Love and an Apple Cart. He was approached and commissioned by the Apple and Pear Marketing Board in approximately 1950 to write the Apple Song, all about promoting 
and the health benefits of eating apples. Now check out our bonus bit about Ward Leopold and hear the apple song, the only known recording of this tune in Australia. Eat apples every day. But other than a souvenir brochure from the 1930s, what else could I find on record in our collections about apples in Queensland, let alone about our apple festival? Now, there were a couple of records in the State Library of Queensland's collection, but I also took my search online to Queensland State Archives. And I found some interesting records. They included photos of orchards and of harvest time, letters to the Premier from growers, as well as importers overseas, and reports of the Apple and Pear Council. Now, there was very little, if anything, about the Apple Blossom Festival or the Apple and Grape Harvest Festival that I could see when I did my online searches of the collections. I needed help, so I took my curiosity off to the Queensland State Archives at Runcorn in person and spoke with reference archivist Jolan Neal about what I could expect to find in their collections, what the archives actually keep in their collections and what I could learn from them for the podcast. Jolan, you've taken me into a very special place that smells of old books. Where are we? All right. We are currently standing in what we affectionately call Rep 3, uh, Repository 3. Uh-huh. It holds some of our oldest paper records, things like the Proclamation Document of Queensland, the uh, ship's passenger lists for the incoming immigrants, um, uh, various volumes and volumes of correspondence records and uh, cards and rates records and valuations books. And as you can see, the, the variety of what we accommodate is considerable. Uh, that's we're only just even looking at the first bit we've literally just walked through the door it's closed behind us I'm looking at dates like 1904 1913 the 20s 1938 and over into the 40s over there and they're leather bound um some are wrapped up to be a bit you know be a bit more careful this is an incredible variety of stuff that you have here it is it is very much so um it's one of the things that makes working here really exciting because you never really quite know what you're, you're going in to look at and what you're going in to find. It could be anything from huge volumes like this. These are the Colonial Secretary's correspondence records. And as you can see, it's got to be, what, at least almost two feet tall. Yeah. And how old is that? Because these Double. are all wrapped up in they've literally with string. It's quite lovely. It's like a little present, really. Colsec, this one, this particular one is dated 1880, but our Colsec records do go back to the founding of Queensland in uh, 1859. This feels really special. <laughs> I mean, I'm here to see the Apple and Grape Harvest Festival's committee notes. So we're talking like a manila folder and committee oh, minutes of no, the no. 70s. Heavens and no. Uh, you're yeah, outdoing yeah, yeah, me yeah. here. I don't think it's going to be leather bound. Well, see, these ones here, these are rate books and valuation registers, uh, but they also use these types of volumes for their minute books, uh, especially the really, really early ones, uh, because, and again, that's is the reason that they're so big. They weren't actually meant to be moved. 
So they would. It doesn't s- look like it, does it? <laughs> they would sit on a podium, and they would write the date and what happened. At the, you know, handwrite the minutes, and then it would just wait until they came back into the committee room for the next load of meetings and minutes. And they're just incredible. Who would have thought that rate documents were so interesting from <laughs> Caboolture and Charters Towers? But I've seen it for myself. It's just stunning. Okay, so I introduced you to Rep 3. Yep. Uh, and you said it smelt like old paper. Each of our repositories actually has its own individual smell. No way. So take a breath of this one. Tell me what you think it is. Oh, look, I've just cheated because I've looked around. But I'm like, it's very chemical. And then my eyes just landed on film reels. So a slight vinegar we... smell in the air? Yes, it is. Now you, yeah. Yeah. I can place it now that you've said that. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So that's the, um, that's what happens to old film stock. It's called vinegar syndrome. So as it's deteriorating, it gives off an odour that smells a little bit like vinegar. But it's so much colder in here too. Aha, I'm glad you noticed because <laughs> that is one of the ways that we work to preserve our photographs and films. Yeah, um, right, okay. They do need a colder temperature to keep them more stable. So how cold is it here on average? Uh, in here, 15 degrees. Yeah, okay, yeah. But then the really, the really in danger materials are in a freezer. We oh, actually wow. have okay. a purpose-built freezer. This makes a bit more sense for some of the things I requested mm-hmm. that were on negatives. So you, do you have photographic film in here as well as um, movie film? Yes. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Okay. So, and I only ordered the, uh, photo, the yes, actual photos yes. themselves. Yeah. yeah, okay. So this it tends to be this side is our photographs and this side is our, our film stock. Yeah, wow. So okay. if you remember back to your school days and the uh, education department would put on a, an old educational film about road safety. <laughs> It'd be in here. This is where it'll be. This is where it's ended up, folks, <laughs> in the stacks. Yeah. Um, so, again, even, even your negatives and your prints and your photos come in different, different shapes, different sizes, different formats. Um, your negatives are not just the strip negatives that you might remember from the 70s. Yep. They're older negatives from the back in the 1920s, 1930s, uh, a different size and a different shape. Yes, yep. Uh, and, like, that's some, of the, that's some of the photos that I have requested I'm surprised by what government agencies wanted to take photos of things. <laughs> so, like, I'm getting photos of Stanthorpe, um, orchards and agriculture. Like, look at all the things we are growing. It's, they're hero shots, really, Absolutely. of what I could see online. Yes. Why would Queensland Railways want to take photos of things like that, for example? Because it's promotional material. Right? Back in the day, they wanted people to move up here. They wanted people to come and visit. The only way to visit was the railway. The only way to tour around the countryside was to get on a train. So uh, Queensland Railways would take photos of these places and say, oh, look at these fabulous places you can come visit. Um, They also took progressive photos of the tracks that they were building and the stations. And then maybe, I don't know, sometimes it looks to me like the photographer got a bit bored and was like, okay, look up from the tracks, look up from the stations, look up from the changes and the the scars that we're making across the landscape. 
And let's look at this beautiful beach. <laughs> or here's this lovely orchard. Or look at this mountain. And they take these landscape shots that are just stunning in the middle of this these pictures of trains and carriages and rails and bridges. It's just great. So some of the personality of the photographer comes through even I through those so. official yeah. 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 Nice. I'm going to be looking at for that now yeah. when we look at my little list. What's the most random sort of request you've seen? We just get so many different varieties of requests for so many different things. I think one of the ones that uh, for me was uh, a rabbit hole was about the Gainda and it was the Queensland gumboat. And apparently uh, the story goes that the captain over monetary disputes turned the cannons of the boat on Parliament House. Get out. I'm learning a new thing. That, but that was, that was the story. Uh, now, when I actually dug into that, it's, yes, there was a bit of argy-bargy and, yes, the captain was escorted off the boat by police officers, but I couldn't actually find anything that said he turned the, the cannons on Parliament House. Is that where you love your job? Where it's like, yes, there's the myth, the rumour, the story, but what's on record to verify the facts? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's a big reason for it. Because but in I, that story, there was no evidence for it, but there was no evidence to say nay as well. Mm. There was an absence of evidence. So do you like those rabbit holes too? Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, sometimes it can get frustrating. Sometimes you follow the threads and... Um, Okay, so here's another thread that I followed that, that ended up being highly frustrating. Um, I was doing some research on something that was called the Red Flag Riots and it was uh, communists who apparently rioted in the streets of Brisbane and they... What sort of time period are we talking? Uh, Would that be I, 50s? No, earlier than that. Um, uh, Pre-World War Two. Yes, it was between the two wars. I want to say the 20s, but I think it was more likely to be the 30s. Okay, yep. Um, the red but I'd, I'd, I'd have to have a, I'd have to look it up to... You got me in it sort of off the top of my head. Um, but, yeah, so these guys were arrested. And what I was actually looking for was um, the details of the dozen or so men that were actually arrested in the red flag riots as communists. And I followed a thread of correspondence and courts and all sorts of things and trailed the registers. But then when I got to the final point where I should have been able to go and find the actual information, it didn't exist anymore. So uh -huh. we didn't actually hold it. We had the thread about it and the subjects and all those sorts of things, but to find the actual bundle of correspondence that detailed all of this, uh, it no longer existed. So that was really frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> and I imagine that would happen a lot because there's no such thing as a perfect record keeping because of fires and floods and things. And Chomp, the rodent, who yeah. gets stuck in and ate the lot of it, not just yeah. the corner of it. Absolutely. And again, because sometimes people just didn't understand what it was that they were doing and... They didn't keep them. Yeah, true. That not yeah. recognising what value it might be in the future. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we have a very, very small percentage of the, the records of the Queensland government. Um, 
and they're the ones that were considered of particular permanency or historical value or legal value or all things like that. So there's a, a vast volume of stuff out there that never, never got kept. And, and look, that's the problem I'm facing too. There's just very little that's ever been kept on record about this festival since '54. Yeah, yeah. And I'm just so stoked that you've got committee minutes <laughs> from '71 that we're planning the centenary. Yes. Uh, festival for the Upland Grape Harvest Festival. So here I am almost going to be apologetic, but I don't have any gunboats turning guns on Stanthorpe <laughs> Shire Council. But in fact, actually what you've got are incredibly valuable yeah. because there's so little of it. Yes. And the, the trick with yours is that it would have been um, the festival committee as such who would have been expected to keep the documentation. Uh, but, uh, of course, they're not a government entity. Yeah. So the records that somebody might have kept as a government entity, and we have a lot of them, um, your committee as a, a non-government entity wouldn't have had the same requirements placed on it. So, they, they, you know, you might find five, ten years down the track that the records that you're looking for are in somebody's shed. Because uh, some past I, I reckon that's conclusive. Yeah, I reckon there's a lot of sheds around Stanthorpe that are the unofficial archives of the festival. Yeah. And, and that's what happens. Um, you know, people, at least some people are loathe to throw some things away, uh, which is terrific, but, of course, nobody knows where they are. Um, you know, a past secretary was the only one who cared and so they're in their back shed somewhere or in the garage attic or somewhere like that. And it won't be until something else happens and maybe they have to move or maybe someone else comes in to, you know, clean some things out that they'll find the boxes and then maybe they won't recognise the significance and um, it'll go somewhere unfortunate like the local tip. Hopefully people will contact somebody... Uh, whether it be your local studies library or the state library or even us. Um, and even if we can't take it, we can recommend that perhaps these would be of, of huge value to your local, uh, your local history library or even your local history society may be extremely interested and may keep them and preserve them and make them available for people to access in the future. Like, I loved how we got to go into the photographic and film repository, Rep 5, I'm getting my, my language on. I know that we've got a lot of home videos that are in the bottom of the cupboard, in the shed, you know, the top of the cupboard, that kind of thing. And they're often the only records we've got of the street parades and some of the activity and, and the balls that were held for this festival. What's your shout-out to all those who are sitting on their Betamax and VHS films? <laughs> what can they do right now in terms of, you know, making those come to light? I would suggest you perhaps contact probably the local history library as a starting point. Yeah, um, for us, I guess that's the Stanthorpe Museum. Or look... Doing an ad for me. Uh, contact yep, your local yep. podcast host. <laughs> I've got grant funding. Public library. And Stanthorpe definitely has a library. Yes, yeah, yeah. Southern Downs Council Library. Oh, yeah. yes, and they've definitely got a local history section which has specialised uh, people who 
are collecting the history of your area uh, and would be very interested. And again, they're specialised and they know how to look after these things and again, there's always grant monies and, you know, local council grants or arts grants or things like that. It's about the history of your area. And if even if it's not a government record, um, it's worth keeping. You can contact the State Library. They... But their policy is it has to be of significance to Queensland. Now, I would think one of the oldest harvest festivals would be of considerable interest to the State Library of Queensland, but I don't know. You'd have to talk to them about it. But somebody definitely, especially imagery, because we're losing it so fast. And Yeah, it's been quite a shock that we just don't have much imagery, audiovisual, anything, about the apple and grape, the apple blossom festivals, mm. where other states have a tradition of it. And I can look in all the glory at Betty Cuthbert in Tasmania <laughs> opening up apple blossom festivals, but in Queensland, zip. It's really yeah. interesting. The absence of evidence, yeah. But I think it's probably out there and people think it's their family snapshots and their family history. But sometimes it's worth thinking a little bit broader it's not just about our family, it's about where our family was and what our family was doing in the area that we were a part of. And those stories, those stories of the people in the areas that they were a part of are absolutely essential to keep. And I'm fairly sure from my interactions with them that most of your local history groups and local history libraries, local studies libraries, would be very, very happy to talk to you about doing something about it. I think you've sent a klaxon off to (laughs) Stanthorpe, so thank you so much. So, what exactly did I find in the State Archives? Right, well, I've got a series of photographs and I've got digital copies of these. They feature Pam Scoose. She's in an orchard with bins of apples, and they're hero shots of a packing shed. It turns out she is the sister of Carol Scoose, the 1972 Apple and Grape Harvest Festival Queen. Speaking with Carol briefly, I learned that their orchard is also on the front page of the 1972 festival program. Now, that's significant. Not only was Carol the queen of that year, but that's the centenary year as well of Stanthorpe. Back into the archives and the repositories, or now I say the reps, I also found letters. There is a manila folder that spans four decades. It contains letters from apple growers from the Stanthorpe area. One included in this collection wrote to the Premier, Sir Joby Occupedison, but he also posted a bushel of Granny Smith apples to show the Premier exactly how good the quality of these apples are. The Covent Garden Markets in London wrote the Premier a letter to congratulate him on the wonderful quality of Granny Smith apples coming out of Stanthorpe. Stanthorpe also was represented in Canberra for national summits on apple growing. And there's also mentions towards the end of this folder about the tree pool schemes and ultimately the demise of the apple export industry. And in this four-decade-long manila folder, now this was a really chunky stack of paper, 
I found one mention in the Premier's correspondence of the Apple and Grape Harvest Festival, and it was about the funds that it brings to the region in tourism dollars. So leaving Queensland State Archives, what became clear to me was that the history of the festival lay in private collections other than non-digitised newspapers from the 50s onwards. So I had returned to searching on the internet as well as social media. What did I find? Now, by the 1950s, apple blossom festivals were held in every apple-growing region across Australia. They were huge. I mean, Tasmania's Huon Valley was often on the national news for its festival. It attracted Olympians to open the festival. I mean, check out this interview from the ABC archives. It's good to see an Olympian of the calibre of Betty Cuthbert here for our Apple Festival. Uh, this isn't your first visit to Tasmania, is it, Betty? No, I was here in 1951. I ran the Schoolgirls Championships, which was part of the Jubilee celebration. And I suppose at that stage you had no idea that you'd be back here so soon and under these circumstances. No, I didn't know I'd be invited back to open the Apple Festival or to crown the Apple Queen. And what are your impressions of the Huon Valley Apple Festival? Well, I think the Huron Valley people who celebrate the harvest of the Tasmanian apple have good reasons to feel very proud. Now, prior to apple blossom festivals in the 1950s, the Queenslander pictorial newspaper often talked about apple blossom either as a fashionable pink colour to wear or have apple blossom decorating your wedding or your very important social occasion or to visit Stanthorpe for orchard tours. But could I find any footage of the Apple and Grape Harvest Festival or the Apple Blossom Festival anywhere online? And look, the simple answer is no. Except this ad on YouTube that someone's uploaded from the 1990s. Don't you miss it. The 1994 Stanthorpe Apple and Grape Harvest Festival, February 25th to March the 6th, with the main weekend being March the 4th, 5th and 6th. There'll be something for everyone with sports carnivals, the Grand Parade, Gala Fireworks, Rodeo, Drag Car Racing, Street Carnival and Mardi Gras, Wine Fiesta, Crafters Carnival, Children's Entertainment, Grape Crushing Championships, Open Air Concert, plus a whole lot more. So bring the family to the Stanthorpe Apple and Grape Harvest Festival. February 25th through until March the 6th. But going down the rabbit hole of Apple Festival research and contacting every Apple Festival in Australia was worth it. I discovered an amazing claim to fame for Stanthorpe. It hosts the longest continuous running Apple Festival in Australia. And it all started with Back to Stanthorpe Week in 1954. You can even go to the Stanthorpe Museum and see the first sash for a festival queen on display. It's hand-painted with in gold with 1954 apple blossom time. And in 1955, the Apple Blossom Festival was rebranded as such, and in 1966, the festival evolved into the Apple Harvest Festival. Rather than queens, they had Miss Delicious, named after the apple variety. But then later in 1970, the name changed to the Apple and Grape Harvest Festival and the Queens were back. So, Stanthorpe is the sole place that's consistently held its Apple Festival since 1954. And I just got to say, that's an impressive claim to fame for the smallest apple growing region in our country. But I spoke to the Mayor of Southern Downs Regional Council, Vic Panisi, and he fact-checked 
Is Stanthorpe actually the smallest apple growing region in Australia? My understanding is, uh, and uh, you can confirm this with Orchard Grove Services, but we are the second largest apple growing region in Australia. Now, regardless of where you get your stats, one thing that we do agree on is one million apple trees grow here in the Granabelt district and they're beautiful. So you've just had a crash course in apple growing, apple festivals and apple marketing in Australia for the last 100 years or more. You've also heard how hard the hunt has been to find the official history and documentation about Stanthorpe's apple festivals. Now in part two of a brief history of apple festivals, I'm going to explore a little more. It's about the romance of apples and apple orchards. I'm going back to speak to the mayor, Vic Panisi, and about his dad's films. His father captured three decades of the festival on eight millimetre films. I also speak with Mary Lou Stevens and Sasha Wosley. Now they're rural romance authors here in Australia who had releases in 2021, all about the romance of an orchard in bloom. And lastly, I also speak with Stephen Baronio at Eastern Colour at Applethorpe on the open weekend of his apple orchard during apple blossom time in October 2021. And we talk about what is the magic of walking down an apple row with all the trees in flower. So join me for your part two episode of the history of apple growing and apple festivals as well as catch our bonus bit about Ward Leopold and the Apple song. Beyond the Crown has been made possible by the Regional Arts Development Fund, RADF, and it is a partnership between the Queensland Government and the Southern Downs Regional Council to support local arts and culture in regional Queensland.